0: Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Amos uh, chapter 9, and this evening we're going to read verses 11 to 15, the final verses uh, from Amos. So Amos chapter 9. And verse 11 says, In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins, and will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills, and I will bring my people back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Well, this sermon is entitled, The Future for the Remnant. We'll see what the the remnant is uh, shortly. Uh, But just to help us understand what this passage is about... I want to tell you a story about a famous uh, piece of art that I think all of you uh, will know. Uh, this is the death mask of Tutankhamen. Uh, and it's one of the most valuable historical artifacts in the world uh, and was found after uh, thousands of years in 1925. And it's held in the Egyptian Museum uh, and it is the most Uh, the biggest tourist attraction, really, in Egypt. Uh, People queue and and look at this mask, and if I was in Cairo, uh, I would definitely want to go and see this. However, in 2014, uh, the mask was being cleaned, Uh, and uh, the the cleaners were doing it after the museum had shut, Uh, and the beard got snapped off. Can you imagine how you would feel if you was cleaning the mask of Tutankhamun and you'd snapped off the beard? I mean, I'd feel bad enough if I don't stay too still on the platform and I knock something down here. But if I'd ruined Tutankhamun's death mask, I would feel pretty awful. But they decided, in their wisdom, to try and fix the mask before anyone would notice. And so they used a quick-drying epoxy glue to fix it on. And what happened was the beard, you can't really see it too clearly, but on the right-hand side, that's the effect of of what they did. It might not look too bad to you, but the beard was off-center, and it damaged this 3,000-year-old death mask. And it wasn't actually noticed until months later in January. So it it happened in, in August, and in January the next year, Uh, someone noticed there's something wrong with his beard. And uh, it was repaired by a a team of of German and Egyptian experts who reattached it, and they used beeswax, which was the material that would be used by the ancient Egyptians. Uh, And in 2016, a year after it was fixed, uh, the eight employees who were involved in cleaning it and reattaching it, were fined and were disciplined uh, severely for what they had done. However, they at least did a better job uh, than Mr. Bean did when he damaged Whistler's mother. But like a ruined work of art, the world that God has made has been damaged by humanity and is in dire need of restoration, And the problem is that all of us are a little bit like those cleaners doing a botched job. We we might try really hard to make the world better, but really, we're like the cleaners who are not experts trying to fix something we really don't know how to do. The only expert who can restore the world to what it should be is the God who made the world. And that restoration, that it is brought by removing and judging sin, which is the cause of the ruin in our world. And Amos has been a book that has shown God's justice to us. Uh, it's been heavy. We've, we've felt the weight week by week of God judging sin because he's a just God and must confront evil and judge evil. And judge sinners if the world is going to be restored. And we've seen it over and over again. But at the same time, in the midst of this judgment, we've seen in Amos God's mercy. So just look back at Amos chapter 9 and verse 8. In the midst of this judgment, Amos chapter 9 and verse 8 says, Surely the eyes of the Lord are on the sinful kingdom, I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet. I will not totally destroy J- the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. So although God uh, must confront evil and, and judges sinners, his long-term purposes of restoration of our world involves him showing mercy so that he has a people, a family that will worship him. And Israel have been God's people, but they've rejected him. But even in the midst of Israel, there is mercy shown to a remnant, a group of people who will continue to worship God in justice and righteousness. And it's the future of that remnant, that group of people who are the true people of God, it is their future and how they are involved in the restoration of God's world that is the focus of the final few verses of Amos chapter 9. And in the New Testament, we see that that remnant grows and grows as people are called from all nations to worship God. As the church of Jesus Christ, we are God's people today. We have, at the end of Amos, our future and we'll see our past. We have here a message, which in the book of Amos you might say, finally, of, of of comfort and hope for the true worshippers of God. And this message actually comes at a time when, in Amos, around uh, the world around him and, and God's people was was worshiping idols. It seemed to be happy and prosperous, but the world was was falling apart. And I think we can relate to that, can't we? That we live in a world that is in crisis at the moment. Everything, doesn't it, around us in our world seems to be just falling apart. And we're caught up in this as, as people who live in this world. But we as God's people, as we see these verses, have hope. For the unbelieving world, this messed up world is the best life that they will ever have for all eternity, because they face God's judgment. But for us, as Christians, the best day you have on earth will be nothing compared to the glory that's to come. And so tonight, as we have had weeks of hearing of God's judgment, we're going to see the wonderful future for the remnant at a time when everything around them was falling apart. And in the last few verses, we're going to see two parts to that future. First of all, a restoration of David's throne, and then secondly, a reverse of the curse. So first of all, a restoration of David's throne. So look at verse 11 of Amos uh, chapter 9. It, it begins with, in that day. In that day. The day talked about is the day of judgment upon Israel. So on the day that he judges, he's going to show mercy by restoring David's fallen shelter. Now there's a, a play on words here with the word shelter. In one sense, uh, Shelter is another way of saying house or dynasty. So God is promising to restore the Davidic line, which after this day of judgment against God's people has fallen. But it also describes the word shelter, the current situation that Israel are in. They're they're not a mighty house, but they're a precarious shelter. Shelter. God had promised David a throne that would last forever. But at the present time, it was a tent or a shelter. It was a sign of how low David's line had sunk. In fact, they'd gone backwards because when Israel had left Egypt, they were in tents, wandering in the desert until they came to the promised land where they could have fixed abodes, The the tabernacle was God's dwelling place until the permanent temple was built. But here, it's like they've gone back to being in tents. But this small shelter in the midst of mighty nations will be restored again. God will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. Notice the change in that verse from what is fallen, broken, and ruined to what will be restored, repaired, rebuilt. Do you see that in verse 11? And at the end of verse 11, we read that it will be rebuilt as it used to be. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, the highlight of the Davidic kingdom was the reigns of David and Solomon. During their reigns, the, the people of Israel were one nation, not the divided kingdom it became. The kingdom was established with peace in its borders. The borders were as large as they ever would be. They were a blessing to other nations as they came to marvel at Israel and and wonder at the wisdom of Solomon. Israel's king was good, not perfect, but followed the Lord and encouraged his people to do so. Israel was a powerful world player. But now they're a, a fallen shelter about to be destroyed by the mighty Assyrian armies. But God is going to rebuild it as it used to be. And then in verse 12, we see God's mercy as the the reason why he's bringing about this restoration. But it's not mercy without a purpose. In verse 12, we see the purpose of God's restoring David's throne with the words, so that. Notice verse 12. So that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. So the purpose of God restoring David's throne is the possession of Israel's enemies. At the beginning of Amos, we saw the oracles against the nations that surrounded Israel, and Edom is mentioned here, possibly because it was one of the most prominent of those enemies. But at this time in history... King Uzziah was the king of Judah down in the south, and he was the true blood descendant of King David. And he, at this time, was a good and successful king, and he actually was restoring part of Edom back under Judean control. So in 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 22, we read this of King Uzziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elaph and restored it to Judah. Elath was part of Edom, and so this was kind of beginning to happen. But the final part of the empire being rebuilt, the remaining part of Edom and all the other nations, was never under King Uzziah, brought under the authority of the Davidic king. We read that these other nations would bear the name of the Lord. In other words, other nations, not from Israel, would be the people of God. And you might wonder, when when, when did that happen? Well, it was always the Old Testament hope and promise that all the nations would come before the Lord. So the children of Abraham were to bless all nations, And this vision of other nations being part of God's great family comes up a lot in the Old Testament. So Isaiah chapter 14 and verses 1 and 2 says this, the Lord will have compassion on Jacob. Once again, he will choose Israel and will settle them in their own land. Foreigners will join them and unite with the descendants of Jacob. Nations will take them and bring them to their own place. And Israel will take possession of the nations and make them male and female servants in the Lord's land they will make captives of their captors and rule over their oppressors. And so the purpose of God showing mercy to restore David's throne is that he will have a people for himself from all nations. Can you see? So how and when does this happen? Well, in 722 BC, Israel was overtaken by the Assyrians and Later, the southern kingdom was destroyed by the Babylonians. The shelter of David did fall. But eventually, the southern kingdom was allowed back to their land, which we read of in Ezra and Nehemiah. But even then, the throne wasn't reestablished. The people of God were waiting for the king from David's line to arrive. So to understand when this happens, we have to turn to the New Testament, where we read... In Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Jesus was the Messiah, God's chosen king, who is the son of David, the king, and the son of Abraham, the one through whom all nations will be blessed. And then in Luke's gospel, we read the angel saying this to Mary, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So Jesus Christ is the king from David's line who rules over a restored kingdom. And that happened when Jesus begins his ministry he calls together 12 disciples, a new people of God. And he dies on the cross for our sins. He rises from the dead. He shows that he is indeed the Messiah. He comes to bring salvation so that we can be right with God. And, he, he, and after he rises from the dead, his disciples shared this good news, first of all, with the Jewish people. But then it began to spread from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then especially through the ministry of Paul the Apostle, the, minute the word of, uh, the, of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ starts to go to the ends of the earth. And at this time in the book of Acts, some Jewish people were teaching, as we read in Acts 15, that people from these nations had to effectively become, effectively become Jews in order to be accepted truly as God's people. They needed to practice circumcision and keep the Old Testament law. And there was a council at Jerusalem, which you read about, that discussed these things. And James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church, used Amos to explain what should be done. This is what he said. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written... After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, James is using there a different translation to the Hebrew. He uses the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is why some of the words are slightly different to what we see in Amos. But he shows that Amos was teaching that God would have a people from all nations that would bear his name. And so we see the fulfillment of what Amos is saying here in the church of Jesus Christ. I hope that makes sense. And so what we see today is that God is right now at this moment in the process of restoring David's fallen tent and repairing its broken walls and restoring its ruins as he builds the church over which Jesus Christ is king. Now if you haven't understood all of that, don't worry. The point is Jesus Christ is king over his church and we are a part of that rebuilding process. And so these verses are helpful for us in a number of ways. First of all, remember that Jesus Christ is the king with God's authority, and he therefore demands and deserves that we all, as his people, submit our lives to him. He is the only hope for the world, and he is the greatest of kings. Secondly, God's purpose is to build his church. We should be involved in that mission to all nations. We are involved through our own witness in Pelsall, by supporting the work of this church, through prayer and giving and service, and we are each involved in the mission to the world by praying and giving in the work that others are doing to spread the gospel all over the globe. But thirdly, bear this in mind, brothers and sisters. Notice in verses uh, 11 and 12, the confidence we can have that the work of building the church will be successful. It's not down to us. Notice how God says, I will restore. I will repair. I will rebuild. And then at the end of verse 12, declares the Lord who will do these things. Sometimes, and if you're helping your holiday club, this will be how it might feel over the next week, you can feel like serving Jesus is a waste of time. It can be hard going and you can feel like you're just failing. Do you ever feel like that? I sometimes do. I sometimes wonder what is the point in doing this? Why are we, why are we serving Jesus? It's hard. We can feel like that sometimes. You can feel like obedience it's just too difficult and I want to give up. But following Jesus and being involved in his kingdom is never, ever, ever, ever a waste of time. Never. It is God's work and it's God's work that will always in the end succeed. And the other thing is it's not all down to you. You know, you, you are not the saviour. Jesus is. God is at work in you. He will fulfill the plans he has through you. All the glory goes to him. And so with confidence in him, we can serve him. In obedience, in faith, trusting that Jesus will work through us. He will build his church. Well, verse 11 begins with that day. That day is where we are today. Today. The throne of David has an occupant. His name is Jesus, and he is possessing the nations through the preaching of the gospel. But in verse 13, we get a glimpse further into the future. So in verse 9, we read of that day, which is today for us. But in verse 9, or verse 13, sorry, we read the days are coming, and in the coming days, we see a reverse of the curse. So in these verses, we have a vision of a time when all of the judgments that have fallen upon Israel so far in Amos are reversed. What we see here is a picture of the future for the remnant of God's people, and one which, because we are that remnant, brings us great comfort and hope as we lift our eyes from the decaying corruption of this world and the world around us to the future, the wonderful future that God has in store for us as his people. And what we see in these uh, few verses are three aspects of our future as God's remnant. Uh, We see, first of all, superabundance, satisfying service, and security. Superabundance, satisfying service, and security. So in verse 13, we read of a time of superabundance. Look at what it says in verse 13. When the reaper, so the days are coming, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. The picture here is of such fertility that they can't keep up with the growth. At a time when Israel was going to be totally destroyed in Amos, and earlier in the prophecy we read of famine and drought, we see here a reversal of that. The picture is one where there are, are, are no worries, there is joy. Wine, by the way, here, is a, a wine is a symbol of joy, and it's, it's, it, it's dripping from the mountains, it's flowing from the hills. You, you can't bottle it because it just keeps coming, you see? Now some of you um, who grow vegetables have a, an abundance because you, you bring that to church quite often, which is very nice. But here, there's so much abundance, you couldn't even put it in your bag and bring it. It's a a super abundance. And so we can look forward to the days that are coming when all of our needs are met and satisfied abundantly. That's the first thing we see, super abundance. The second thing in verse 14 is satisfying service. So, the people are, are brought back from exile at, at, at the beginning of verse 14. So that means they're taken home. And when they arrive, the, the judgments against the cities and the vineyards and the gardens are going to be reversed. And what's interesting here is that up to now, including the bringing back from exile, God is the one who works. So, so far we've read the refrain I will, I will, I will. But in verse 14, notice the change to they will, they will, they will. And what God does is he describes when he brings them home, what the purpose of bringing them home is. And what we see is the purpose of them coming back from exile is to serve God with satisfying service. What this means is that in their home, they will work... But the work won't be frustrating. It will be fulfilling. All that they do fulfills its potential and purpose. So they build and they get to live in what is built. They plant vineyards and they get to drink the wine. They make gardens and they get to eat the fruit. What they do fulfills the purpose. Now there is something satisfying, is there not? About being to, being able to eat uh, your own homegrown fruit or vegetables. Or uh, if you've made bread, to eat the bread that you've made with your own hands. It's good, isn't it, to do that? Or if you've, you've made a meal and, it, and from scratch yourself and you get to eat it. It's, it's, there's something just, yeah, good about that, isn't there? We, we're, and, and in this wonderful time, That Amos is talking about, we fulfill our purpose as humanity by serving our king without frustration. It is like a rebirth of Eden. That's really what we're seeing here. We can look forward to a time when we will be home, living a life of satisfying service, life that we're made to live with no frustration. And then finally in verse 15... We'll see that the future will be, as well as superabundance and satisfying service, a time of security. Look at verse 15. I will, so it goes back to what God is doing. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Again, God will do this, will serve him, but he's the one that gives us security. He plants in the land... And his people will never be uprooted again. And the reason that we can rest secure is because it's God himself who has given the land. And God himself who puts us there. And he is the Lord our God. So we'll be home. And we'll be secure. And we'll never have to worry about anything ever again. And it's all a gift from God. It's, not, it's given. It's not earned. God shows here mercy and grace to the remnant of his people. Now, what we're seeing here is a very similar picture to the kind of images that we see in the book of Revelation. I hope you can see the the similarities. And if you can't, I'm going to show you an example which we looked at a few weeks ago in Revelation 7. Revelation 7 speaks of, again, the, the people of God They are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Do you notice the the security there? Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The, The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes." The days, brothers and sisters, are coming. The days are coming when we will experience this in reality. Those days are coming. Now throughout the book of Amos, he's been prophesying judgment and calling for repentance. And the thought of God's judgment should cause us to submit to him. But here we see the other side. Judgment is deserved, but here is the mercy and grace of God on display. We can look forward to a time when the curse is reversed and sin and death are no more. And so this vision should help us remain faithful to Jesus, fulfilling his plans and purposes for our lives as he builds his church. And on those days when, let's face it, we we have a bit of a wobble, which we all do from time to time, don't we? It's helpful to look uh, in in the two directions that we've just looked at. We can look backwards at the time when Jesus Christ in history was shown to be the restored Davidic king. We look at his death on the cross where all of our sin was paid for, And we look at the fact that he did, in history, rise from the dead. He really did rise. And so our faith is not based on some myth or fairy tale, it is on the reality of a risen king who is the restored king of David who rules over all. That gives us assurance that what we believe is real. And that then gives us confidence that because he's risen from the dead, we can also look forwards. We look forward with certainty to a time when all of the struggles and sufferings and frustrations and sin of this world will be no more. And we participate in this wonderful vision that Amos gives us of superabundance, of satisfying service, of security forevermore. And in fact, I I would say to you, brothers and sisters, don't just look backwards and forwards when you have a wobble, just look at, look at it every day. <laughs> look at Christ, look at what he's done, look at what he will do, trust what he's doing. That's how we should live every day, isn't it? Amos is a prophecy where we read in chapter 1 and verse 2, the Lord roars from Zion. He is the Lord roaring his judgment upon a sinful kingdom. However, in seeing the mercy of God, we see that the lion is good, isn't he? As C.S. Lewis says about Aslan, of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's true of Jesus, is it not? He is the king, and he is good. And brothers and sisters, let's keep following him until the wonderful day when we'll be with him forever. Well, we're going to close by singing two songs that help us uh, to look forwards. We look forward to a wonderful time when we will be with Jesus forever. Uh, First of all, we're going to sing, All Must Be Well. And then there is a higher throne. So let's stand and be encouraged by what God has in store for us as his people. Let's worship him together. he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.
1: Spread your wings of mercy over me and guard my heart with true humility. No shadow of the darkness pressing in, only the holy overshadowing. The no refuge will I seek, but God alone.